0: Are you ready for something more, better, or different? Have you been looking for more success in your life? Here is your opportunity. Dr. Young's show, Transformation for Success, will help you discover a future for change with possibility thinking, new vision, and creative solutions to impact a more fulfilling lifestyle. Dr. Barbara is an accomplished leader and change guru, who is passionate about helping others to gain the triumphs and successes that lie ahead. She brings you up close and personal with interviews from successful experts, corporate leaders, sports figures, entertainment personalities, coaches, thought leaders, and authors who dared to dream, take risks, and gain success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young.
1: Well hello, and it's Transformational Tuesday. So I want to give a big shout out to all my international, national, and local listeners. We're broadcasting live and we're now syndicated on the business and influences channels. This show is also syndicated on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And you can also now access my shows on your smart home devices. Share with your friends and colleagues. Listen, if you enjoy the shows each week, I welcome your feedback via my email, infotransformationforsuccess.com. And if you're international, you can Skype me at Dr. Barbara Young. With your comments and suggestions and feedback, keep those emails and comments coming. Also, we have the television online network, so you can check out Transformation Success TV and watch all the television shows you wish to look at on MyVoiceAmericaTV.com. You can access them all online. So today, what do you get when you blend together The experiences of a hitchhiker, a world traveler, high school teacher, newspaper columnist, and rabbinic scholar who shares the wisdom of the ancients to the modern world? Well, you get to listen to my interview with my guest today in the studio, Rabbi Jonathan Goldson. Now, you're ready to discover how a deeper appreciation for ethical principles and clear communication leads to success and happiness in your personal and professional lives. we got an amazing show for you today with Rabbi Goldson. So he's the director of Ethical Imperatives, imperatives, a two-time TEDx speaker, a popular podcast and radio guest, and author of hundreds of articles and five books, not one but five books applying ancient wisdom to the challenges of the modern world. So stay tuned as he's going to share his journey and how ethics creates trust, trust promotes loyalty, loyalty generates passion, and passion drives productivity. You can call in and ask questions of Rabbi Golson, 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's one 888 Three, four, six, nine, one, four, one. Share with your friends, and again, if they missed the show, they can tune in again on the platforms: Apple Podcasting, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Again, on your home smart devices. Now, help me welcome my guest today, Rabbi Jonathan Golson. Well, good afternoon, <laughs> where you are, Rabbi Golson. Hello, hello. <laughs> uh,
2: hello, Barbara, Doctor Barbara. It's uh, it was a wonderful introduction. I'm not quite sure well, who you were describing, but he sounded like a great guy. Well,
1: you're a great guy.
2: <laughs>
1: I tell you, it's it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And I had told people you have circumnavigated the globe. You've seen the Taj Mahal the pyramids of Giza, the tea plantations of Sri Lanka. I mean, you've hitchhiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, to the tops of the Sierra Nevada. You jumped even out of an airplane. <laughs> you you know, you are such a fascinating individual, and I'm so happy to have you on the show. And listener, not only has he studied at the University of Edinburgh, but he taught high school for 23 years in Budapest, Hungary, and then Atlanta, Georgia, and St. Louis, Missouri. So he's now director of the Ethical Imperatives. That is your company, right? Ethical Imperatives.
2: That is my company name. That's right.
1: And he gives keynotes and trainings to teach professionals and how well we need it today, how good ethics is good business, and the benefits of intellectual diversity. Uh, Rabbi Goldson, you've been a professional speaker and teacher for over two decades. You've published five books. You've raised four children. You've been married to the love of your life for 30 years. I know. I want to hear your story because it's really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So what motivated you after you graduated from college in English, uh, with a degree in English, to embark on a hitchhiking adventure? Oh, my goodness.
2: Well, I suppose it was a, your classic perfect storm. Uh, you yeah, know, from the time I was a little kid, I always wanted to write. I just I was writing sh- short stories when I was seven years old. I loved words. I loved I loved drama, theater. I loved um, ideas. But as mm-hmm. I got towards the end of my college career, I realized that I really didn't have a story of my own, and I didn't have any deep ideas that were my own that I felt. I, I was in a position to share, and, yes. and it occurred to me that I'd I'd grown up in a fairly comfortable middle-class bubble, um, you know, life was relatively simple, and what I really needed to do was to uh, was to break out of that bubble. Uh, I had to challenge myself, I had to, to find a way of putting myself in situations, it's a cliche now, but it's true, that we allow ourselves to become wrapped in our comfort zones, and that's comfortable, by definition, but... We don't really grow when we're mm-hmm. when we're in those those comfortable situations, uh, and so I started thinking, what can I do? Since English did not really prepare me for any career, what could I do to really break out of the box, break uh, break out of the bubble? And uh, this plan coalesced in my mind. To uh, I'd read, read uh, I'd read On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Uh, mm-hmm. Kerouac, I'd, I'd already sort of outgrown Kerouac by the time I was a senior in college but that idea of the unexpected, of really taking off in a way that, that wasn't common. And, um, and that's what I did. And I ended up putting myself in, in this very um, sort of precarious feeling position of having to rely on the kindness of strangers, of having to face the unexpected, of having to deal with situations that really couldn't be anticipated mm-hmm. and through the course of that uh, journey
1: i uh, i discovered a whole new
2: look outlook on life and, and really a whole new understanding of myself
1: you know I, I think that's that's what adventures can can you know happen i mean it can actually there's a cause to the effect but basically uh, that is an adventuresome thing to do to hitchhike uh, across the United States. Did you find that you had uh, negative experiences or more positive experiences?
2: Um, almost no negative experiences. There were okay. a couple of times I declined to get in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was one time, you know, there, you said say there are three rules of hitchhiking. Um, don't hitchhike at night because... If you get in the car, nobody else can see into the car to uh, see what's going on in there. Don't get in a car with more than two people because if one of them mm-hmm. wants to cause trouble for you, the other one's got to drive. At least you've got even numbers. And, uh, and always have some plan for your, where you're going to spend the night. So I don't remember exactly where this was. I think it was in Denver. I'm not particularly sure. But I was very close to my destination. And I was trying to get there. And it started getting dark. So now I'm already in trouble with, with rule number one. And pretty soon I'm going to be stuck at night with no place to stay. That's rule number three. And a car pulls up and it has three young guys in it, all wearing leather. And I paused. I hesitated. What was I going to do? Was I going to stay on the road, let it get dark? Was I going to get in with these guys? And against my better judgment, I got in the car with them, breaking the third rule. Uh, and they start chatting with me, and I'm a little on guard. And uh, they ask me where I'm going, what I'm doing. I tell them, tell them where I'm headed. And they say, well, gee, you know, we, we'd love to take you there, but we're on our way to a Scorpions concert, but we know which bus stop you need to get to to get where you're going. So we drop you off at that bus stop. You wait for the bus, the bus will pick you up and take you there. Cool. These guys were terrific. Yeah. And, and if... if uh, you know, if we, if we allow ourselves to look at people and stereotype them and make assumptions, uh, then we really deprive ourselves of, of interactions and relationships. Uh, that was one of the lessons I learned. Now, of course, at the same time, this is the early 1980s, and book hiking had really gone out in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it, was, it probably wasn't the wisest choice I ever make. I, made. I, I certainly wouldn't uh, want. Wouldn't have wanted my children to do anything like that, but uh, you know, sometimes we sometimes we just have to have to sort of launch ourselves out into space um, because okay. that's that's where uh, that's where our future lies.
1: Now, in the eighties, I'm going to ask you this question: How tall are you? Uh, are six you feet. Tall? Six feet. Okay. And six were you feet, wearing yeah. long hair at the time? I was not. Okay. Okay. I just, I'm just going back to the eighties and I was recalling. Okay. And you know, cause sometimes, you know, picking up a hitchhiker, you can look at it up from the other perspective too. Um, you know, they're, they're looking at it from both ways. So I was thinking of how did you look, you know? So, but this is, this is so unusual. And one of the things that, that also, I mean, you're so adventuresome. You go back, you don't just stop with hitchhiking. You go backpacking across Europe. How did that come about?
2: <laughs> well, that, that was a lot more common back then. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that really didn't set me apart from a lot of young people. But okay. really, when I I spent about five months hitchhiking cross country, and and I and I just I'd had enough. I I got uh, I traveled from from Southern California, where my parents lived, to Washington D.C. Plenty of stops along the way, and I just suddenly didn't want to do it anymore. I'd had enough, and um, came home. And my plan was to get a job or maybe go to, back to graduate school. But okay, I had my fling. Uh, it's time to settle down and figure out what I want to do with my life. But it didn't take more than a few weeks before that travel bug started itching again. Mm-hmm. And um, I just I just really wasn't ready to settle down. And so I crossed the Atlantic and uh, traveled through England, Scotland, Ireland, France, Switzerland, Spain, Austria, um, Italy. Uh, and it was really that. You know, you might be easily trans, uh, described as wanderlust, but since then I've learned to look at things through a spiritual lens, mm-hmm. and, and I believe that really it was, my, it was my soul that was yearning for something and yearning to reconnect, and, uh, and eventually I ended up in Israel, and that's where I reconnected with, uh, with my heritage, with my traditions. I've been raised with really no knowledge of, of what it meant to be Jewish at all, so was, uh-huh. that was an adventure also. Uh, it really changed my whole view of looking at the world. I wasn't somebody who particularly believed in God, uh, did not believe in God, just didn't really have any clear ideas mm-hmm. uh, on, on what spirituality was or what it meant. And, and I just discovered a, a, a whole uh, world opened up to me. Uh, 3,000 years of tradition were waiting, waiting for me there. I wow. uh, ended up spending the next nine years living there. Uh, studied, became a rabbi, met my wife, had our first two children. And that's really what has has defined the course of my life ever since.
1: And, you know, if you'd never taken that first adventure of hitchhiking across the United States, you could have stayed stuck in Berkeley. (laughs) Probably, God knows, going on to get a master's or having a very dull life. But, you know, it's really something how the Creator, some people call him the Creator, I call him God. Some people, you know, but he's the helper. But he was guiding you along the way. And I think it's a very marvelous story about having the Wonderlust, but it was for a purpose and a plan. So we're going to, you know, I, I really want to just have you share maybe a one, maybe, or two lessons that kind of stand out that when you're talking to or doing a TEDx, that you kind of talk that stand out from those early experiences. Can you just give me one lesson? That you found yeah, as a
2: matter of fact, I, I, uh-huh. I, uh, I, talked, uh, I talked about this in my TED Talk, that mm-hmm. when, I, when I started getting into, into cars, people stopped to give me rides. So it's easy to think of a hitchhiker as somebody who wants a free ride, but really there's more to it than that. You see, mm-hmm. when, you, when you climb into the front seat of a car, um, there is, it's, it's that strangers on a train phenomenon. Right? Strangers in a car, there's no safer place for self-disclosure in the front seat of a car with two people. They're not going anywhere, and they're never going to see each other again. And mm-hmm. often I had uh, drivers would start telling me their stories. Uh, so many people just wanted someone to listen. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I discovered after a while is that they really weren't talking to me. They were talking to themselves. They just needed someone there to make them feel comfortable doing it. And often they would tell me that the things they were sharing with me, they had never, they had never told their their wives, the parents, their children, and the best friends. And, and And I realized that I wasn't really there to have a conversation with them. I was there to let them tell their stories comfortably knowing that it would never come back to bite them. And so I listened more carefully than I might otherwise have done. And by listening more carefully, I learned more about them. And in the process, I learned more about myself. Because really what I discovered is that when we don't know the people around us, we don't know ourselves either. Human beings are social creatures. And yes. we need to expand our view of the world by engaging people who are different, who understand the world differently. It doesn't mean necessarily we're going to agree with them. It doesn't but mean necessarily engagement that is important. With them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we actually acquire a broader worldview and a broader, a deeper understanding of how people think, where they're coming from. Uh, and that's that's critical to our humanity.
1: I want to thank you for that, too. And with that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to be right back because we've got a lot more chatting to do with Rabbi Golson. So stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
0: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
3: Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore what we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment.
2: Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics
0: reaching a global community. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at Success.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Well, welcome back to my show today with a community rabbi, a recovered circumnavigator, a repentant hitchhiker, a former newspaper columnist, and now Director of Ethical Imperatives. And I am so excited to have her on the show today. So this is just the day that I want to get all my information about Rabbi Golson. what happened in Israel. You spent nine years, became a rabbi, got married, had a child, one or two children, one or two, I think you said, and...
2: Oh, we had two in Israel, and then two after we left.
1: Right. So, what inspired you to become a rabbi? Because that's it's, it's quite an interesting, you know, feat to become a rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Uh,
2: it's um, yeah. You know, when when I when I was traveling, mm-hmm. um, I, I liked to I liked to romanticize what I was doing, and mm-hmm. I felt like I was on. Um, a search for truth.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, it's very fashionable to be on a search for truth. It's much less fashionable to claim that you found truth. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> who, who do you think you are? Yeah, right. yeah. I
1: found the truth.
2: Um. <laughs> you know, that, that sounds really kind of arrogant. It does. And, and when, I, when I ended up in Israel and I began to study the ancient texts and the ancient teachings. Um, I, didn't, I, I ended up in a room with a, with a rabbi that looked like a, a caricature with a big hat and a long coat and a scraggly beard and the sidelines and the thick glasses. And, and I thought, there is no way in the world this person could have anything of relevance to say to me. And, and the truth is that I, I would have left Except I'd taken a seat in the back corner of the room, which was now so packed with people, I could have had to climb over a dozen people to get out and make a spectacle. And I it wasn't going to happen. I was trapped. And then he started to talk. And he sounded like he could have been a professor of philosophy at Johns Hopkins University, which, in fact, he was. Oh, wow. Okay. And he just shattered my stereotypes. You know, we talked about this earlier. And I just couldn't believe that somebody who looked the way he looked could make so much sense and could be so rational and articulate. And I decided that if I were really sincere about being a truth seeker, that I at least had to listen to what he had to say. Mm-hmm. And I figured it would take me a few weeks before I would uh, I'd be able to, to expose the flaws in his, in his arguments. Mm-hmm. But that never happened. <laughs> the more wow. I argued, the more compelling his his answers were. The more I objected, the more he responded with logical, empirical evidence to, to defend his positions. And after a couple of months, I just had no more excuses. Uh, Either I had to uh, renounce my claim that I was on a search for truth, mm-hmm. or I had to admit that you know this is what I was looking for, and once I well, you know it was sort of agonizing reappraisal i was I was twenty four years old I'd finished college I'd read the classics I'd traveled around the world one and a half times I you had know, life all figured out and now I'm being told that I'm not even at square one. I have to start absolutely from scratch and it was it was a little traumatizing I, bet. Once I made that commitment I had I had this tremendous urge. I I thought I had so much catching up to do that really everything else just just disappeared from my mind.
1: Did you ever feel like like just giving up? Did you ever feel like um, giving up and saying enough of this or I don't know if I'm really cut out for this? Did you have those kind of doubts at um, all?
2: Not really doubts. I had moments of frustration. Okay. Um, the, 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 the ancient texts are very complicated in, their, in the style of presentation. There's, I don't think there's anything like them in the world. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have these vast tracts of dialogues and discussions that are, that are pieced together from the oral tradition that was handed down in Sinai. And they're written in Hebrew and Aramaic. And there's no punctuation. Oh, wow. And so it just goes on it, and on. It's, yeah, yeah, so, so you, you have to learn how to learn before you can even begin to approach these texts. And there's so much um, uh, scholarly logic that isn't quite the same as human logic. And, okay. and it takes a okay. lot of time to adapt one's thinking and to recognize that this is not illogical it's just a different, it's a different style of logic. It's a different way of thinking. And so it was certainly frustrating. And there were times that, that I, you know, I sort of felt like, oh, I just want to walk away from this all. But it, it was never really a serious decision for me because okay. I had come to recognize that, that this is, this was reality. And, and this is, I didn't necessarily want to be a rabbi from the beginning Mm-hmm. But I realized I had to achieve a certain level of fluency if I was just going to be a functioning uh, person as a member of the Jewish world, the Jewish community. And over the course of time, um, again, like we talked about with the, with the traveling, the, 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 path, the path often appears before us uh, if we're really looking for the path we're supposed to follow.
1: That's true. I believe that. Now, one of the things, uh, I I did some research on this and I was very fascinated, of course, I've always been fascinated with the Jewish traditions and more or less um, interested in the ordination of a rabbi. And, And what I found out is that the ordaining rabbi and the one receiving the ordination, you have to both be present in the land of Israel. Is that correct? Did, am it I correct with that? Uh-huh.
2: It was correct. Um, you know, from the time of the Jews wandering in the desert, uh, mm-hmm. if you read the the narrative in Exodus, um, there were 70 elders, and they formed the high court. And eventually that court became known by a name, which is actually a Greek word called the Sanhedrin. They're actually yes. 71. Yes. They wanted an okay. odd number. Um, and in order to be uh, accepted on the Sanhedrin, the way it worked is that the Sanhedrin would meet and all of their disciples would sit behind them. So they would be present for the discussions and the debates and, and, and the discourse uh, that went on in the chamber of the Sanhedrin. And when one member of the Sanhedrin died, so the most distinguished of the students would then be accepted to uh, replace him. And the process through which that happened, the Hebrew word is smicha, uh, it, it means actually the pressing mm-hmm. of hands, is that, that the, the head of the high court would place his hands upon the head of the, the new rabbi, and he would be admitted to the court. Now that, that authority was interconnected with the land of Israel and with the temple in Jerusalem. And so what happened in the, um, let's see, it would have been uh, the third century, um, life in Israel became very, very difficult. The Roman oppression was was draconian, and uh, a lot of Jews were fleeing Israel for uh, Babylon, which is now Iraq.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. And that community grew up, but because it was outside of Israel, they could not confer that same ordination. So they, they developed an alternative title. Instead of Rabbi, or, or Rabbi, as we say in Hebrew, mm-hmm. there is was Rav. It was sort of an abbreviated form that indicated this person is deserving of being a rabbi, but for technical reasons, he can't be accepted upon the court. Uh, and ultimately, that there was a chain of tradition. That went from Moses all the way down to these sages. Until eventually, and I know what happened was that there, right. there was a decentralization of authority. It wasn't possible to have that transmission anymore. And so now we've gone back to the title rabbi, but none of the rabbis today are really rabbis of the ancient sense because they don't have that unbroken okay. connection back to Sinai. Right.
1: I understand Moses laid hands on the first rabbi, he actually laid his hands on. Aaron, who became the first, what we would call rabbi, but all the other well, elders, quite. they no. didn't have their, they didn't, their hands were not laid on them. I think they were appointed. Now, I'm, I'm no, no, no. recalling this from my own study.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, rabbi, Aaron, Aaron was not, Aaron was not, the, Moses was the first rabbi. Right, um,
1: okay. Aaron but
2: was the high list. priest, so he had a different function. Uh, Moses' successor was Joshua.
1: And I know he laid hands on one of them, so maybe you know, I got it wrong, well, yeah, but I know he did. That's part, yeah.
2: anoint, that's part of the anointment procedure of right, the right. authority.
1: Now, I have this question. Um, since you became a rabbi, how do you believe becoming a rabbi has prepared you for engaging in the professional world as we know it today?
2: Okay, now we're getting down to the brass tacks here. Um,
1: <laughs> we call it the nitty gritty. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so uh, let let me give you a little quiz. Um, Where is the first recorded incident in history of advice for a CEO?
1: Probably from um, Moses' father-in-law.
2: Good suggestion, but it goes back even farther than that. It goes back all the way to the beginning. Because when God is contemplating the okay. creation of man, what does he say? He says, let us make man in our image. Yes. So who is he talking to?
1: Right? He's talking to Adam, the so, first man. He's not there yet. He hasn't been created him yet. Well, he's, there's the three of them. The Father, the Son, him. and the Holy Spirit.
2: There's nobody, there's nobody around. It's just God.
1: Yep. Right?
2: So according, right. to, according to the sages he's talking to the celestial court. He's talking to his angels. Well, why is he talking to them? He's not going to make God, he's not going to make man in their image and he doesn't need their help. He doesn't need their advice and he doesn't need their permission. So why is he including the conversation? Because it's a lesson for for the future. It's for anybody who's in a a position of authority, any CEO, any president, any uh, head of state or head of business, any business owner or manager, when you have decisions to make, include the people around you in the decision-making process for two reasons. One, even if you know what you're going to do, even if your mind's made up, even if you don't need anybody's permission, it allows people to feel that they are part of the process, to feel that their opinions are valued, that they are recognized for the contributions that they may have to make, And that creates a much healthier work environment and it creates much more committed and passionate uh, members of a team. And the other reason is, if you're not God, which most of us are not, it's possible that somebody's going to have an idea that you didn't think of. And when you open up the floor, in fact, in the Sanhedrin, when the high, when the sages met in the high court and they had to decide on a case, the least distinguished among them would always be the first to speak. Because if you have the head of the Sanhedrin speak first, well, who's going to dare to argue with him? So they would start at the bottom, as it were. And that way, each each speaker felt comfortable to disagree with the speaker who had gone before him. And that's what generated the the uh, uh, the, the, the ideas, the, the debate, the discussion, uh, to make sure that we are... Exploring every possible angle and avenue to get as close as we can to the best possible
1: decision. So today, tell me this, how many leaders do you believe are exercising this particular leadership technology, which I call the transformative leader? Oh, not nearly enough. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) uh, And so one of the things uh, as you began to teach and train, are you finding um, people who are being more open-minded because we're living in such a tight, sort of tight uh, community of leaders now. Are are you finding that people are being more open to this concept?
2: Uh, That's a really interesting question. I, I think it's like, we find in so many areas of the world today, there's a polarization. Um, There is still this attitude that you have to choose between being good and being successful. Uh, There is still an attitude. If I, if I, if I relinquish a little bit of power, then I'm going to risk losing stature, losing respect. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a toxic misconception, but I think but on the think, other extreme, mm-hmm. you have a growing awareness that a healthy, healthy, a healthy business culture is one in which people feel empowered. What is a leader? A leader is somebody who brings out the best in the people he leads or she leads. And the way to do that is to show people that you believe in them, that to give them responsibility, to show them that they're trusted. When they make mistakes, to not cut their throats or fire them, but but to help them correct their own mistakes, recognize where they went wrong so they won't repeat the same mistakes and show them that you trust them to learn from their mistakes. When you have an environment like that, that's an environment that flourishes and thrives and ultimately is much more productive, more prosperous, more profitable.
1: You know, one of the things uh, that I, I wanted to sort of stop you and start to say this. You know, we have a lot of women in leadership today. More women are coming into leadership roles. So when you talked about um, being good versus successful, do you find that this is more of a male perspective as opposed to the female perspective or the female leader?
2: Yeah, uh, I actually can wrote can a, talk about that. Uh, an essay that's for... Uh,
1: we can talk okay. about that after break, because believe it or not, we've got to go on a quick break. But you can be oh, thinking about okay. it, because we have more and more women in leadership. And we are absolutely rolling into leader- Women's Month, which is March. This is our last, wow, the last Tuesday in February. It's interesting, and I just wanted to get your take on it. Uh, and so we're going to take a quick break, Rabbi, and we're going to be right back. And listeners, stay tuned. We've got more to chat about. Thank you.
2: Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment.
0: We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I Am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. This is transformation for success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Well, welcome back with my guest today. Jonathan Golson, and I am so happy to have Rabbi, I'm calling him Rabbi Golson on the show today. This has been a very fascinating conversation. And so as we went on break, we were talking about uh, the male perspective versus the female perspective as we talked about the polarization we feel with leaders who feel like to be able to do a good job, being good, uh, is that or being maybe more autocratic, to be successful So, uh, on break, I learned that Rabbi has written an article called The Gender Paradox. And so, I'm going to recommend that listeners, any of you who are interested in that, to get that article. And at the end of the show, we'll have Rabbi Johannesson tell us where you can get that, because I think it would be interesting reading. I, I really have so many questions I want to ask you, and, and there's so much to talk about because one of the things, as I segue into your writing you, writing, you have so many books. You've written five books. I talked about that, and writing has always been a part of your life. So let's chat a bit about a book which you would recommend to listeners today to read in light of all of the turmoil and the challenges in the world today. What has been your most successful, or your readers' favorite book, in your opinion?
2: Of my books, or any book?
1: Your books. Your books. Um, yes.
2: Um. So I wrote a book a few years ago called "Proverbial Beauty,"
1: mm-hmm. and oh yes.
2: I guess uh, I guess. Well, I, I'm most proud of it because it's it's really not it's not me. It's, it's taking excerpts from King Solomon's book of Proverbs and then mm-hmm. demonstrating how relevant they are to modern times. And the book is <laughs> yes. 12 chapters, and, and it, it's structured. Uh, every chapter is, is exposing um, a different misconception. In other words, what we normally see as negatives, we want, I want to demonstrate that King Solomon is showing us how to view them as positives. So okay. whether it's limitations, whether it's conflict, whether it's shame, whether it's mortality, um, you, you know, it, it's very easy to acquire a cynical outlook on life. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the world's a complicated place. The world can be a difficult place, a challenging place. And sometimes it appears it's a very unfair place. Uh, but so much of it has to do with the way we frame our perspective. And, if we, if we acquire a mindset of looking at the world with an eye to what's beneath the surface, um, you know, somebody, what did, I just saw this recently, um, someone said, uh, I, I made mistakes and mistakes made me. I love it. You know, we, 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 we learn the most when we fail. Uh, I, think, I think what well, was it Churchill said? Uh, success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Uh, you know, these are these are little nuggets of wisdom.
1: Uh, yes, they are. King
2: Solomon has a wealth of these insights. The problem is they're 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 presented in a language that's three thousand years old, and so it can be difficult for us sometimes to access the wisdom. So what I did is I took news stories, headlines, uh, vignettes, uh, stories from history, song lyrics, poems. Anything I could find from the more modern world and demonstrate how the same wisdom that King Solomon had already taught generations before is, is coming to us through so many different ways. Just, just reading the headlines, just reading novels, even reading, looking at the natural world. There are so many ways we have access to wisdom if we simply calibrate our minds and, and orient ourselves to, to recognize it when it appears in front of us.
1: Can you share uh, two or three of your principles that you highlight in that proverbial beauty, secrets for success and happiness from the wisdom of the ages? Uh, that is your best advice to others. Could you just share two or three of your principles that you highlight in that book? Oh,
2: sure. Well, let's uh, let's start with, with one that's uh, one of my favorites. Uh, um, King Solomon says, happy is the one who listens to me, attentively waiting at my doors day by day keeping watch by the doorposts of my entryways. Whoever finds me finds life. So that sounds very poetic. What exactly <clears> does <throat> it mean? Well, first you have to know who's the speaker. The speaker is wisdom. Happy is the one who listens to me says wisdom. Right? Attentively waiting by my doors. Why doors? Why doors, plural? Because every time we have an insight, the natural inclination is, okay, I got it. I'm done. No, every time I gain an insight, I've gone through one door, what's the next thing for me to do? Look for the next door. Because wisdom just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And there has to be an attentive waiting, there has to be an an eagerness, an enthusiasm, a passion, an electricity, that every revelation allows me to see more clearly, which means I can see farther and deeper and broader, and I can expand my vision, I can understand more profoundly, right? Because whoever finds me finds life. But one of the problems we make in the world today is that we mis- we we conflate knowledge with wisdom. I mean, we really okay. live in the Google era, right? <clears throat> Google it. You can yes, find anything you want to know. Anything but you want you to know. what do you do with that knowledge? What do you do with it? The application of knowledge—that's wisdom. And wisdom just goes deeper and deeper and farther and farther. And the and if we if we're if we're passionate about acquiring wisdom, then that becomes self-motivating. The more wise a person comes, the more, the more driven he is to acquire more wisdom.
1: And I think uh, it is, I, I have a tagline I use, wisdom is my inheritance.
0: <laughs> wisdom
1: uh-huh. is my inheritance. And so when people sometimes ask me for advice, and I'm sure they do you all the time, I actually tell them, Read the book of Proverbs and start with the proverb matching the day of the week. There are 31 days in a month. There are 31 Proverbs. So read the book of Proverbs and you will find that there are things that will really uh, comfort you, will help you. And particularly, there are a lot of women who are um, in leadership positions or they're, they're seeking answers and the book of of Proverbs is the book of wisdom. So I was so glad when you said that secrets for success and happiness from the wisdom of the ages, because it's all there in the book. It's all in the book. Absolutely. There's another, there, there's another book that I um, sort of reached out and I went, Oh, I love this. Now it may not be your reader's favorite book, but it's one I want to get. And that's called three pillars of success. You talk about communication, responsibility, and ethics. Uh, You have inspired so many people with your wisdom books and your opinions, and they're so relatable to people who read them. And I'm just so happy to have you. I could really have you on the show two or three times because there's so much to talk about. When we start talking about all of the, the turmoil and the challenges in the world today, people who are listening to this show from all over the world are looking for advice, looking for principles that they can apply in their lives today. So when you talk about what inspired you to write the three pillars of success, because you also say, if you as a business leader will operate with these three things, you will be successful. So share a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, just to avoid confusion, I should say that I I recently changed the title to "The Secrets of Ethical Affluence," Um, but the uh, the structure of the book is is still the same. And what I do is I talk about what I call the Code of Values. uh, The C, D, and E are in capitals because um, I think there are three components to being successful, which are the three pillars. Um, One is communication. One is Mm -hmm. diversity. And one is ethics. So, what I what I what I demonstrate through through the book it's a, it's a short ebook. Uh, you can go on my my website and it's it's available for free. Uh, it, it just helps us demonstrate how these are, are are the three essential pillars that support a life of success and happiness, and, and really also one of contribution, uh, because ultimately that's that's what we want to. That's what defines us as people. That's our legacy, is the contribution we make in the world. What do we leave behind? And if a person's ethical, but he doesn't communicate his ethical values properly, or um, if, he, if he can communicate, but what he's communicating is not authentic, or if a person is looking at the world through too narrow a view, you know, diversity mm-hmm. is, is, a, is a topic that really we could, we could talk about uh, endlessly because
1: the, yeah, problem oh, definitely.
2: The, con- the problem with the contemporary view of diversity is it often leads, leads to tribalism, which means it pits people against each other. Mm-hmm. When the, idea, the objective of diversity is to create, to create community because the whole is always stronger than the sum of the parts. If you go into business, you don't want a partner who's just like you. You want a partner who's good at all the things that you're not good at.
1: Absolutely. Uh, it's
2: true in business. It's true in marriage. It's true in friendship. Uh, and it's true in community. And so just by, by demonstrating how these three components fit together to create real stability uh, and a real foundation, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's what I demonstrate in this little book.
1: I love it. The three components... It's his code of CDE, community, communication, diversity, and ethics. And the whole thing is to bring all these three components together, and absolutely, they will bring success. And I, I am so happy to actually just share that, put that out there in the world with you listeners, so that you can know and be inspired, because you too can become that vessel, that vehicle to help people become better and not bitter. I love that. Um, Rabbi Johansson, you have helped so many men and women with your wisdom and your opinions what keeps you going? And that's my last question, you know, sort of what keeps you going? <laughs> what what keeps you inspired? You have children you got the love of your life um, over 30 years, I mean, what keeps you going? <laughs> uh <laughs> Well, that should how do you be a stop? quick answer. That should be a quick answer.
2: <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Listen, there's, there's a lot I want to accomplish in my life, and I, I feel like I've, I've only started to scratch the surface. Um, I, I think that there, there's, there's so much destructive noise in the world today. I think that really things in the world are not nearly as bad as they appear to be. Um, there There is a, there's a media that thrives on scandal. Um, there's a, an industry that thrives on, on divisiveness. You know, if, if I can convince you that all these people around us are out to get us, then maybe I can now hold on to my position of power because you'll turn to me for help. Whereas if we, We're all getting along with each other. Why do you need me? I think that there are, um, I think there's a large, moderate, I don't mean politically moderate, I mean uh, people who want to moderate their thinking and their speech and their behavior Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. to accommodate people who are different. You know, we can disagree on things and we can disagree passionately, but we can still respect each other. Absolutely. And I think that the more of us who add our voices to that philosophy, to that approach, uh, maybe we could start to marginalize the more extreme voices on both sides. And maybe we could reclaim a, re- a civil so- society. And, and I think that every one of us has an obligation to try to do that. I so believe there is hope. keeps me going? Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's what it means to be human. Is to, is to um, acquire an ideal that's worth working towards, that's worth fighting for, that's worth committing ourselves to, and devote as much of our time and energy and passion as we can.
1: Well, I really want to thank you for sharing today, because it's been quite a bit of messages that you've shared, and I absolutely agree making our voices known, and we don't have to argue, we don't have to be argumentative about it, as you said, but to moderate our thinking. And it's okay to disagree. So, but I, I think, you know, one of the things that I got out of today is imagine replacing distraction, disengagement, and conflict with passion, purpose, and productivity. Quote from Johansson Goldson's Ethic Keynote. So I want to thank you so much for sharing much of the wisdom. that's 3,000-year-old secrets, but really they're not secrets. All you have to do is pick up one good book, and you'll get it all. So again, listeners, I want to thank you. Share with your friends that they can download this show on iTunes, Google Play, and I want to give the website www.johansson.com. Goldson.com is the website. Go to his website and check out his blog, check out his messages, check out his books, and I encourage you to do so. And Rabbi Johansson, thank you, thank you so much for being on the show today. Love you much. Have a very blessed week. And listeners, you have a great week. This is Dr. Young signing off.
0: We appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, that's 12 noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for replays of the show weekly on the Voice America Business Channel and the Voice America Influencers Channel. Until our next show, have an outstanding week.